to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 46. The next day, John saw Jesus coming and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said, One who comes after me is really greater than me because this one existed before me. Even if I didn't recognize the one, but I came baptizing with water so that this one might be made known to Israel. John testified, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove, and it rested on this one. Even I didn't recognize the one, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this one is God's child. The next day, John was standing again with two disciples. When John saw Jesus walking along, John said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples had heard what John said, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, Jesus asked, What are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus replied, Come and see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they remained with Jesus that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus was Andrew, the sibling of Simon Peter. Andrew first found their own sibling, Simon, and said to Simon, We have found the Messiah, which translates Christ. Andrew led Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at Simon and said, You, Simon, child of John, you will be called Cephas which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and Jesus found Philip. Jesus said to Philip, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to Nathanael, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's child from Nazareth. And Nathanael responded, Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see. Did you guys know that we have a story in our tradition and in our Bible that tells us about the first thing that the universe ever heard? We do. We look at the book of Genesis, and we read the first words, and it says, In the beginning there was nothing, but then just a wind from God blew across the face of the earth. Can you make that wind sound? 
first sound of the universe. And then God spoke the first words into that nothingness. There was nothing. And God spoke some words. Do you know what God said? It sort of, you'd think, make the earth would be a good thing to say. God said, Yahior, which meant a lot to the people who were writing the story. But to us, doesn't necessarily mean anything until we know that it's translated, let there be light. The first thing that God ever said to the universe was, let there be light. And if you remember, let there be is kind of like God's name. It's God is saying, I will be and be and be, and I have been and I will be and I am being. And so when we say yahi or, will you say yahi or with me? Yahi or. That's Hebrew. You guys just learned Hebrew. Good job. For let there be light. And I ask that you guys let there be light in your life that you let these words that the universe speaks and that God speaks to us shine in your hearts. Can you hold them with me? Let's say a prayer together. God, thank you for giving the light. Thank you for speaking the word light into the universe. And thank you for letting that light be a part of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're first grade or under, you can go back to extended session or back to sit with your folks, and uh, thanks for coming down. I'm not the kind of preacher who enjoys preaching a topical sermon. Um, I like unpacking biblical texts and learning about the context in which they were written, seeing what they hold for us today. And I actually get really annoyed by topical sermons. Things that pull the scripture out of context, they start proof texting, they make things relevant to the today world when they're not. This story, the story we hear this morning, was written 2,000 years ago. Think how much has changed in the last two years. Just in the last two years. Two millennia ago. The world's a little different now. Are there truths that have existed and continue to persist? Yes, definitely. Poverty, for example, is not much different. Hunger feels the same way inside a body. Religion still oozes in and out of politics and societal norms on the whims of whomever is in charge. But so much is different. There's some big things, like a relatively earnest attempt at democracy. That's different. That wasn't around a couple thousand years ago. Marriage. How many of you had your marriage arranged by your father who chose your spouse? None, none of us, thank God. The world's a lot different from when John first showed up in the dirty River Jordan. That's not much different. River Jordan was dirty then, dirty now wearing a furry loincloth, and dunking sinners underwater. So all that said, I'm going to preach a topical sermon today. <laughs> Will you let me? We'll step in it together, eyes wide open, knowing what we'll get into. We'll think about what this could mean as an allegory and look at the theme of the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. 
So, with your permission, our allegory as we look at today's scripture will be called Jesus' Coming Out Story, or subtitle, Jesus Gets Outed. There's a lot of talk about identity in today's culture, which is actually a really good and healthy thing. It's a healthy thing when people are encouraged to identify the essential things about their personhood rather than having somebody else tell them who they are. I don't know if you've thought much about your own identity, the parts that you claim, the parts that others have decided for you, and the parts that come along with other parts. But I'll tell you who does think about these things a lot are people within the queer and trans community. But let's rewind 2,000 years and talk about identity. Some things are very much the same as far as how you are defined, and some things have changed. You are defined by what culture and economic situation you are born into. Still true? It's true. What language you speak. Still true, yep. Who your parents are helps to identify you and make your identity. Those things define even what's possible for you. And back then, it was even more so. Who you're allowed to marry. What you can or can't eat. What careers, if any, are available to you. Think about how that aspect has changed within your lifetime. There are characteristics that define your identity, your age, your gender identity, your physical and mental health. So back in this time, let's talk about the Christ identity. I mean, I think that's a pretty defining characteristic. In fact, the identity of the Christ is a very specific one. People always have their eye out for the Christ in this kingdom. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, both of which translate to mean the anointed one, the one that has had oil poured on their head. So King David was a Messiah because he was anointed the king of Israel. Uh, Aaron the priest was a Messiah because he was anointed. That was the first person that God said, anoint this person, pour out the oil on them. And so this Christ person was going to be someone who was appointed by God to be the ruler of Israel, of God's chosen people, and would usher in God's peace for these chosen people, the Israelites. Which it turns out, in the middle of a Roman occupation 2,000 years ago, was a pretty big deal when you're looking for a way out and a ruler to take over and get you out of this situation. That Christ role becomes very important. So going around and claiming this to be your identity could get you killed. Being the Christ is a threat to the people in power. It's a threat to the occupying government, and it's a threat to the empowered religious leaders. John's Gospel that we're reading today has a high Christology, meaning that in the opening lines, we hear the main subject of this story. Do you remember how it begins? In the beginning was the Word, not light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelled among the people. The Word was the light, and the light was the life of all people. It was with God 
in the beginning, that thing that we just said, the yahi or, that was pre-existent Christ in John's philosophy. Getting the whole thing running. The Greek word, the word logos, which means word, it's the word that means word, spoken by God, the first sound the universe made. Can you say it with me? Yahi or. Yahi or. Let there be light. It's related to that word that we are exploring, the be verb. God's name is I will be. And the first thing God ever speaks is let there be. Let it be. The gospel writer, John, connects this word become flesh, this word that is light, that is life, that is Messiah, that is Christ, with the person, Jesus of Nazareth. The speaking of those first words from Genesis. After this beautiful preamble that explains who this word, this logos is, we are introduced to the character John the Baptist. Right up front, John gets asked, are you this one that we've heard about? Or are you this word, light, Messiah, Christ? Because if so, you're a really big deal, and I think there's some people that might want to know who you are. So to make sure that they understand him correctly, John gets interviewed by the Jewish authorities. The Pharisees send out some priests to interview whoever this is that is dunking people and making big claims about this Logos. So, John is given the chance to self-identify. They ask him who he is, and the first thing that John says is who he isn't. Well, I'm not the Christ, if that's what you're thinking. Phew, that's probably uh, good news. They have follow-up questions, however, though. Ultimately, John defines himself He's non-Elijah, he's non-Christ, and he's non-prophet. He is crier-outer. That's his identity. That's how he self-identifies. I'm the crier-outer. I'm the one who can see who this one is. I've got the light shining in me. People like to know who you are so that they know what you're about. And they wanted to know, why are you baptizing people if you're not even the Christ? John had already stirred up quite a following, and if you keep reading the book, you'll find out that Pharisees get worked up when unauthorized people go around gathering disciples. If you've ever seen um, paintings of John the Baptist throughout history, there are a couple of things that make this character always recognizable. For one thing, he's always wearing fur, which I think is kind of funny because there are a lot of paintings of Jesus and John as babies, and John's dressed in a little fur diaper. And the other thing that always helps you know which one John is, is he's always pointing. He's always pointing. Sometimes he's pointing at a lamb. Sometimes he's pointing at his cousin Jesus. But he is always pointing. Let's say you do happen to be the Christ, the person that everyone has their eye out for. If you're that person, it might be best to keep it on the DL. If you, say, had a cousin who suspected that you suspected was the Christ, 
Maybe, if you're a good cousin, you wouldn't specifically point him out to the local authorities and say, that guy over there, that's the one. That's the one that I've been talking about. It has come to overthrow kings and undermine the system. He's right there. I see him. He's right there. John, you ding-dong. It's, it's not okay to out someone. Just period. I hope you all understand what outing someone is, but just in case not, when someone confides something in you, it doesn't become your story to tell. It doesn't. It's not your news to announce or to share. Sharing intimate things that have been told to you in love and possibly in fear isn't okay. Outing a person whom you know, happen to know to be part of the LGBT community, for example, is not yours to do because there are consequences for coming out. And you don't have the right to bring those consequences on someone else. This Tuesday, October 11th, is National Coming Out Day. It's an extremely important and significant event in the lives of queer and trans folks. It's actually one of the reasons why Atlanta Pride is held this week, is to correspond with National Coming Out Day. It's part of a movement encouraging those who have security to live fully as themselves, openly and authentically, to do so. The intended idea was, according to some of the day's founders, Robert Eichenberg said in 93, most people don't think they know anyone gay or lesbian. And in fact, everybody does. It's imperative that we come out and let people know who we are and disabuse them of their fears and stereotypes. So this day, National Coming Out Day, is sometimes an extra dose of courage an individual needs to be able to share their identity with their friends and family. It's important to be clear about some things. You don't owe anyone coming out. You don't owe anyone coming out. This is not about helping other people feel comfortable about your sex, sexual or gender identity. You don't owe anyone that. One doesn't come out because otherwise that person is lying in who they are. The most cases where someone isn't out with their identity is because they are legitimately or feel legitimately unsafe doing so or feel that it's a private part of their story that they are not willing to share. We all have private parts of our story we're not willing to share. That doesn't make you a liar. It's okay. And this isn't a, if you're a cop, you have to tell me kind of scenario. No one owes you that. You don't owe anyone that. Coming out might not be safe or right for everyone. And this is especially true for those who might live in dangerous and intersecting identities with other marginalized communities, including people of color, disability, economic disadvantage. These folk have double whammies, reasons to, to be afraid in society. But for those who can, this coming out can have a profound impact on the world around them. In the last century, the encouragement and safe spaces that have been made for people to express their identity as they are called and created has literally changed how society works. It's that profound. The changes that have happened in society are profound.
There is risk involved when someone comes out. Sometimes it's family members and support systems who turn around on you or withhold support. There are actively hostile groups and individuals and churches. Sometimes a school or a workplace has made it clear that it is not safe space to have non-conforming gender identities. Sometimes it's a person's own psyche and the fact that the world is so overwhelmingly heteronormative they can't see themselves in it. And then these two other big arenas of church and state, religion and politics, heterosexuality and cisgender normativity have been sanctioned by the state and the church for eons. This has been who has controlled these things. Faith communities and political authorities are some of the most pervasive and persuasive forces and powerful forces in human society. I'm going to draw the line back to our Jesus story now. For Jesus, his Christ identity gets thrown out into the public eye, beginning a series of religious leaders and political leaders getting involved in determining this per person's fitness for living in society, and ultimately, this person's fitness for living. But it also has another effect, one that reminds me of the intent of National Coming Out Day in its goals. It's this phrase, come and see. When the powerful people hear the news that this Christ person is in their midst, they get scared and angry. But when the people living at the margins hear that the Christ is in their midst, they draw close. They want to experience this. They want to be a part of this life light logos. And Jesus invites them in. We use the term coming out because this is a self-identifying and revealing moment in a queer or trans person's lives. But what if we look at it as an invitation in? What if we try and understand the amount of faith and courage it takes a person to reveal this intimate, tender information as a come and see moment that we get to be included in? This story actually does work as an allegory for coming out day. So what's that got to do with me, you might be wondering? Two things. First of all, many of us at NDPC who don't identify ourselves as queer or trans identify as allies of people in the LGBTQ community. And this church itself is an ally, and it is a sanctuary. That is part of who we are. But being an ally is not an identity. Being an ally is a relationship. I'll say that again. Being an ally is not an identity. An ally is a relationship. It's something you do. We can always be better allies. Church, you are the religious leaders. That's who you are. And you elect the politicians. That's what you do. And the way that you feel about other people's identity matters to the world. 
you yield great power. I want you to listen to this last bit of our scripture today and listen for the ally behavior. The next day, Jesus wanted to go into Galilee, and Jesus found Philip. Jesus said to Philip, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Peter and Andrew. Philip went and found Nathanael. We found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, Joseph's child from Nazareth. And Nathanael responded, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. The phrase is contagious. It's modeled first by Jesus when he's asked, where are you staying? By those on the margins who want to know him. Not who are you and by what authority are you doing these things, but where are you? And Jesus says, come and see. And they do. When Philip then reaches out to his friend, who comes at him with a, by what authority are you doing this kind of question, Philip has learned this phrase from Jesus and says, come and see, come along. Being an ally isn't something you get to be without just doing anything about it. It describes a relationship. It's not an identity. You can't just identify as an ally without acting like one. But the good news is sometimes the only action needed is to be the one who says, come and see, come and know, come and experience. Let us go to this with you. Regardless of how you identify, your identity matters. And it matters to others. And God created you to be uniquely who you are. Yes? God needs you to be uniquely you in this world. And so I wonder, who are you going to invite in to know that identity, that most intimate self that God has created you to be? I want to leave you with a quote from the author of our poem this morning, Dakota Amen, from his Love Letter for National Coming Out Day. The question, will I come out and be who I am, feels like the ultimate query. I know this might not make sense to everyone hearing these words right now, but our wound is also our gift. Virtue is vice overcome. My stalwart allegiance to hope, empathy, and inclusion are the flowers that grow out of my scars. Who we are meant to be is worth the arduous journey of becoming. After National Coming Out Day is over, and on the other side of the closet door is another question, so much more beautiful and exciting. I can't wait to see how it fits on your skin. Now that you have released yourself from the prison of convention and the burden of shame, who will you become? Amen.
are created in Christ's own image. Hallelujah. Amen. Go and be your full selves in creation in front of God and everybody and encourage those who might not be able to, to be and go along and see. Come on in. Amen. <laughs>